Great God in heaven, we come to this point in our service of worship where we turn all of our thoughts, all of our attention, all of our affection to your holy and perfect word. God, this word that you inspired, that your spirit has carried on over thousands of years to deliver to us. Lord, we pray that as we look together at your word, that you would convict us where we have failed, where we have sinned, where we have turned, where we have rebelled. Lord, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us to change our hearts and our lives. Lord, that you would encourage us and give us strength that we might follow hard after you. Father, we love you so very much. And God, I know that as I stand here behind this pulpit, Lord, none of those things are things that I can do by my power or by my words. It is only accomplished through the sufficiency that is in your spirit speaking through your word. So in spite of a foolish preacher, Lord, I ask, we humbly ask together that you would speak to us, your church, this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. This morning, folks, we're going to do something that is a little bit different than what we normally do. So everybody here this morning is going to get a copy of the New Testament that looks like this. So there are some gentlemen in the back, and they are going to begin passing around these New Testaments. Everybody in here, I want you to have a New Testament, and you'll also get a highlighter and a pen. This is a gift from Bethany Baptist Church to everybody who is here today. This is yours to keep and we will use it. It will be a vital part of the sermon today. All right. So everybody will get one of these. If you have not gotten one, raise your hand. And then as you get it, put your hand down. But I mean, it's going to take them a second. So don't like, you know, your hand might get tired up there. Don't, don't, don't overcommit. You know, don't be this guy because then you're going to get tired and you're going to need somebody like Moses to come along and hold your arm up on either side. It's going to be ugly. So All right, making their way around. Everybody, every man, every woman, every child, everybody in between. You're not too old. You're not too young. Children, use use the highlighters as they are instructed. Parents, you know, like, help us with that. If If you think your kid's not responsible enough to have a highlighter and a pen, you know, you do your thing. But we're not telling you how to parent. That's that's between you and the Lord and your children. All right. I see some hands. I see some hands. Things are moving. I like it. While those are being passed out, I want to tell you a little bit about this New Testament. On the front, it says large print. I hope that that doesn't offend anybody, but I have to wear glasses. And every Bible that I've gotten in mass print before has been like seven-point font. And I'm, I just, that's hard. I, if I want somebody to actually read the Bible, I don't want to like print it so microscopically that they can't see it. So we opted to go with the large print. This is ten-point font. I'm hoping that everybody will be able to read it, and you're going to need it. You're going to need to familiarize yourself with it. Go ahead when you get it and be flipping through the pages so that they're not stuck together. You know, don't get any stuck pages. If you look there on the front of it, the very opening page is a little article that says a good place to start. All right, you should have that page in there. It's got some helps in the back, in the very back of it. It's a good little New Testament. Now, one of the fun things about all of us having 
the exact same Bible in our hands, the exact same New Testament, is that we get the privilege of being all on the exact same page, right? Like, literally, figuratively, metaphorically, we're all together on the same page. So, as you get your copy of the New Testament, I want you to take it and turn with me to page 174. Page 174. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians to begin this morning, which is in the New Testament that you have there on page 174. all going to make sense. I'm seeing some looks. I I see some quizzical, inquiring faces, but I promise, bear with me, this will make sense. All right. How are we doing? Everybody got everything they need. As you wrap up, as you get the last few things that you need, as you're turning to page 174, if you are physically able, I would ask Would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. We will read through verse 21, as is our tradition. Once we have finished reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Page 174, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The word of the Lord says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We purchased and gave out these New Testaments because the Lord has very much been convicting myself and Jessica, our family. And as a part of that, a church member came and proposed this idea to us in a much smaller setting. And so we decided that maybe we should run with this on a Sunday morning. We prayed about it and we thought about it. And folks, the thing is, over the holiday season, almost all of us are going to have Christmas parties that we go to. There's so many Christmas parties, we can't even keep track of them all. I don't know if you saw in the bulletin this morning, but there's so many things going on just here at the church, it took up the whole bottom half of the bulletin announcements, and we just had to put bullet points beside them. December is an extremely busy time, and we always manage to spend extra time with our friends and our coworkers. We always get together with extended family, and just like we did over Thanksgiving, there's always people there. There's that crazy family member. There's that family member that's just off the reservation. And listen, if you're not relating to me right now and know in your mind who that crazy family member is, I, I'm sorry, it's cliche, but it could be you, okay? That's the, that's the cliche. You might, if you don't know the crazy family member, that might be you. And so over the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, Jessica and I just felt very convicted that we were not having spiritual conversations with our family. That was just a part of the get together that, you know, nobody really wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to be that family member. Nobody wants to be the one that let's talk about religion. So how's your relationship with Jesus? This ain't controversial, is it? Let's just chit chat. It's going to be good. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't go over very well in all of my family get-togethers. Maybe you guys all have saints in your family and it just goes extremely well. I feel like you probably would have a similar conversation if you argued about how good or bad of a president we have at the moment, whether it's whoever, Obama or whether it's Trump, it doesn't matter. Politics and religion, our families get together and all we do is bicker about that stuff. So nobody wants to be the one to start that conversation. But then you, you read Second Corinthians chapter 5. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, it's not my choice. I don't get to decide that I'm going to live for myself and I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to avoid controversial topics when they are uncomfortable to me or when they are inconvenient to me. Because if I trust in Christ and I've given my life to Jesus as my Lord, my Master, my Savior, not my co-pilot, the one flying the plane, the one driving the boat, the one steering the ship, if he's in charge, I don't get to pick. That I might no longer live for myself, but I'm living for the one who for my sake died and was raised. Look down in verse 19. The message of reconciliation, the message of us being made right with God has been entrusted to us. There's no other plan. 
God entrusted this message that there is one way for humanity and divinity to be made right once again. And it's through the God-man Christ Jesus. And that message is entrusted to us to carry to the world. And we're unwilling to talk about it with our family. In verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. God chose and could have used anything in all of creation or created anything else that he needed to make his appeal about the gospel, about this message of reconciliation, but he chose you. And he chose me. He chose us to be the ones to make the appeal for him. And so, folks, I've been laying down on the job. I, I, I have. I've gone to all of my family get-togethers for years, and especially the, there's, there's one family get-together where things were not good for a long time, and now they're in a really sweet place. They're in a really good place. And, of course, now that things are good and everybody gets along when we get together, the Lord lays it on my heart that, hey, we, we, need, to, we need to have spiritual conversations. And I, I go to Jessica, and my wife looks at me, and she says, I, I'm really concerned about my family. I, I just honestly don't know where they stand. Listen, folks, this wasn't us sitting aside and going, those bunch of heathens, I tell you what, they all go into hell in a handbasket, and I can see it, and we got to do something to stop them. This is us saying, I, I don't know where you are, and I'm not brave enough to even ask so that we can have a conversation. All of us assume so often that the initial reaction is, ah, ah, no, whoa, whoa, we ain't talking about that. We ain't talking about that. We won't even ask our family, hey, how are things going at your church? Hey, have you guys found a place to plug into and get involved with? Listen, nothing about what I'm saying this morning is designed or intended to be this guy. Nothing is, this is the absolute opposite. If you walk away from this this morning and think this is what I've told you to do, then you have failed miserably, okay? This is not the guy I'm telling you to be. You need Jesus! You're dying and going to hell, you sinner! I can't believe you sit in this place in this pew and you think you dress up and you look nice. You're dying. You need the Lord. For God's sake, do something. I'm not telling you to be that person, okay? I am telling you, on the other hand, to have a conversation. And it's scary. It makes you anxious because you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know what they're going to do. You know, almost in your mind, it's kind of easier to be that guy. Because then they just write you off as crazy and you don't have a real conversation. But folks, God is making his appeal through us. And we work next to people and we never ask them where they are spiritually. We meet up for family get-togethers and we never talk about where we are spiritually. And we have that one family member that says, oh, don't worry about it, I took care of that. Preacher, I was six years old, man. I went down the aisle. I got baptized. I ain't been back to the church since, but I'm good. I took care of it. Me and God, we straight. And none of us are willing to say, hey, I don't know that that's what the Bible says. I don't know that you're okay if that's what you think okay is. And so, folks, this morning, here's what we're going to do. We all got the same Bible. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to go through a very simple gospel presentation. As we get to each verse, I want you to highlight the verses that we get to. I want you to make a note 
and say, go to this page to move to the next page. And then if all you can do at the end of this service is leave with this Bible and go to your coworker, go to your friend, go to your relative and say, hey, listen, this book has made a huge impact on my life, especially some of the verses that I highlighted. I'd love for you to take a look. That's still another positive step. You're still making the appeal, at least on some level. So, folks, let's look at the gospel together this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to the very back of the book. I want to show you that this has one help that I love in the very back on page 251. Page 251 in the back. If you begin the conversation and things go south real quick, listen, I know a man who's one of the most avid evangelists I've ever met. And he always seems to have the right thing to say at the right time. He always has a track ready to hand out. And there was one time he went to witness to this guy, and he handed him a track through the drive through window, and he said, you got any thoughts? And the guy looked back at him and said, no, man, but I will after I read this, dude. He took it. That's all. That was the worst that happened. He stumbled over his words, but guess what? The man took the track, and we don't know what happened. The least we can do is just make the appeal. It doesn't matter if you can't get your words out straight. If you do it the first time, the next time gets a little bit easier. And maybe another time you stumble over your words again. Keep trying. All of us together, you don't have to be a super saint. This is hard for everybody. Let's do it together and it'll be easier. Page 251, all right? You see it says the plan of salvation. In the very back of this book, it has a story of salvation going from Genesis through Revelation. It walks people through God creating everything, us falling and rebelling, and God redeeming us through Christ. And then the day that we look forward to of the recreation, of the day that Christ returns again and makes all things new, on these couple pages right back here in the back, starting at 251. If you want to mark page 251 so that when you hand it to somebody, you don't, if you can't bring yourself to say all those things, it's written in the back. Hey, at least look at page 251. In the very back there, it's got, it's got a really good layout of what the gospel is. You could just, just take a glance at it. All right? So that's, that's a help for us. A great place to start in a gospel presentation is one of the most famous verses, right? Turn with me to John 3.16. That's page 90. John 3.16 on page 90. I'd like for you to highlight John verses, chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. This is the springboard into having the rest of the conversation. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then continue on. Okay, don't stop at 16, but highlight verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Everything else that will be unpacked is in those three verses. You start with John 3.16, talk about verse 17, talk about verse 18, and say, listen, God loved us so much that he gave his son. The reason that he had to do this is because of what you see in verse 18. Whoever does not believe is condemned. We stand under the condemnation of 
God. Well, why is that? I, I don't understand. What do you mean we stand under the condemnation of God? This is a possible response that you could hear. I, I don't get what you mean by we're already condemned. That makes sense. So turn with me to the next passage on page 147. Romans chapter 3, page 147. first passage I want you to highlight, all right, I'm, I'm very sorry, on page 90, in the margins you should have written, see page 147, okay, that's my bad, that was the other part you were supposed to do, take a second, go back to page 90, write, see page 147, all right, and then come back with me to page 147. We stand, we live, we exist under the condemnation of God. And so if somebody has a question about what that means, Romans 3, beginning in verse 10, has the answer for us. On page 147, Romans 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Folks, this is the explanation for why we are under condemnation. We stand under a penalty before a holy God because nobody who has ever been born aside from Jesus has ever been good or righteous. Oh, I, I don't know about all that now. I, I'm not that bad. Well, have you ever told a lie? Well, you know, may, maybe a time or two. Well, then you're a liar. How many lies does it take before you're a liar? Just one, then you're a liar. How many murders do you have to commit before you're a murderer? How many adulteries do you have to commit before you're an adulterer? How many times do you have to lust after other women? Just walk in your mind through the Ten Commandments. No one is good and no one is righteous. Everyone falls short. And so the beginning of a gospel presentation, you have to understand that you're lost. I have to understand that I'm lost, that I'm in need of salvation. And John 3, 16 says there's a way for salvation, but you stand condemned already if you don't take this way of salvation. So then on page 147, you can just say turn to the next page or whatever. We're going to move one page over to 148. We're going to move one page over to 148. This continues that same theme. There's no one righteous. No one does good. No one even seeks after God. There's not even anybody that's looking for God. We are all sinners. We are all depraved. In Romans 3, beginning in, in verse 22, the end of verse 22, it says, For there is no distinction. There, there's, there's no categories. There's nothing it's just everyone, on verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So pick up, for there is no distinction at the end of verse 22, highlight that, and then get all of verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the end of this verse helps us explain that God is glorious. God is holy. 
God is completely set apart. God is completely other than us. As sinful and wrong as we are, God is equally and more so opposite of us. Good and perfect and merciful and loving. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is glorious. And yet everyone in all of creation, aside from Christ, has fallen short of the glory of God. So then, there's worse news that comes. You have to go forward and then back. It's the only part that's a little bit backwards in this. Say, go to 150. On page 148, right somewhere in the margins, see page 150. See page 150. And then, turn with me to page 150. Turn with me to page 150. page 150 we find Romans 6:23 In Romans chapter 6 verse 23 in the top of the page there right here close to the binding The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord All you have to use is the word wages if you work, what do you get paid? Wages. There are consequences for what we do. And the same is true with our sin. Because we have all sinned, because we have all fallen short, there is a consequence, and it is death. So all of us stand condemned already, and all of us are facing death. It's in the last part of this verse is incredible. Because it says, the free gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus. You don't have to separate yourself from God. You don't have to suffer death. There's a free gift that is available to us. And so then let's read about that free gift. But we've got to go back a page to do that. So go to 149. Say, go back one page. Or see 149. We're going to be in chapter 5. In chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That explains how there's a free gift from God that is eternal life. That's the explanation of how you get out of death. At just the right moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, there is absolutely no reason that should have happened. That's something I can never get over in my life. There was no reason to redeem me. There was no reason for Christ to come. We were still sinners. We were still rebels. We were still traitors. We were awful and ugly and terrible to God. We had spat in His face, spurned Him and turned and walked away. Instead of just smiting us, instead of just burning us or causing us not to exist, 
while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, He sent Christ to die for us. This is the mercy and compassion of God. I should not be alive. I should not exist. I deserve death. But He sent Christ. He sent Christ. Look at verse Verse 9, since therefore we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. You can say that there was wrath, there was punishment, there was judgment that we deserved, but Christ took that wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Folks, this is a point where you can interject that Jesus did not stay dead, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and because He is alive, we have hope of life. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior who died on a cross for our sins and then was raised to life so that we know that when we die, we can experience the same resurrection that He has already experienced. He's already walked through that for us. He's already prepared the way ahead of us because He is alive. It's not just that He died. It's not just that He suffered the wrath. It's that He was made alive. All of these verses just spell it out. Simple, straightforward. So now, we've talked about this condemnation. Turn with me to page 151. Make a note to go from there to page 151. In page 151, it's the beginning of one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. One of my favorite chapters. I know they're all great, but this one just has everything compacted into it. But we're only going to take the first verse. Just the first snippet of chapter 8. We've talked already and read already about this condemnation. Look at what Romans 8 tells us. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stood condemned. We deserved lethal injection. We deserved the electric chair. We deserved everything under the sun that could be thrown at us. We deserve to be buried under the jail for all eternity. But for those who believe in Christ, there's no more condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, that, that sounds great. Sounds wonderful. So how, how do we get in Christ? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? I, I, I like it. Let's say that they respond fantastically. Don't, don't share this and expect people not to respond. Don't share this and be like, and there's no condemnation now in Christ. That's probably all you want to hear, so you know, I'll, I'll be on my way now. Somebody just might surprise you. Wait a minute, there's, there's no condemnation for those in Christ? Well, how, how do I get in Christ? How do, how do I do that part? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep going. Turn with me to page 153. Make a note to move to page 153. Page 153, you find Romans 10 on the far right side of the page, beginning in verse 9. Romans 10, 
Verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, I like those verses. Tell people to call upon the name of the Lord. But I'm going to ask you to go one step further. Alright, these verses are true. But it would be easy to be confused that all I have to do is think it. It would be easy to be confused by what is meant by the word believe. In the Greek, when they wrote this word belief, there's action tied to it. It is a belief that changes your life. Maybe you were here a few weeks ago and we talked about those ten leprous people that came to Jesus. When did they receive the healing? When they turned to obey Jesus. They were facing Jesus, calling out, and Jesus said, Go show yourselves to the priest, and you will be healed. And what did they do? They believed Jesus, and they believed the healing, and they knew that it was true. They believed it so much that it caused them to turn and have action. So don't think that it's just some mental assent. If I just think, oh, yes. I do believe that Jesus was truly a righteous man. He probably died. And I believe God raised him from the dead. These are factual things. They are historical. I know them. Not enough. It's got to get in you. It's got to change you. You've got to believe it so that it changes how you live. So that, like we read in the beginning, you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Jesus. So turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Page 114. Make a note. Don't stop there. Make a note to go to 114. Make a note to go to 114. This is Acts chapter 2. This is what we read the other morning at the beginning of the service. Look at verse 37. This is the end of Peter's sermon. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the apostles. All right? We're on page 114, and this is the end of Peter's sermon explaining the gospel to thousands of people gathered together from all nations and tribes and tongues. In verse 37, Now when they heard this, the crowd, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is where you land. And you say, this is one of the great disciples that Jesus taught, that walked with Jesus for three years. You say, he he preached a sermon, and that was the end of his sermon. And they said, what do we do? 
And when he beckons them to believe, what their belief looks like is a changed life. Is being willing to be baptized. Be willing to identify with Christ and let Him be the Lord and the Master of their life. Just the fact that they were willing to be baptized put their life at risk. And Peter says, I want you to believe so strongly that it changes everything about who you are. That it causes you to turn. That it causes you to change. That it causes you to be a new creation. That's why we still baptize people today because we're buried with Jesus and we are raised up with Him under the water and brought back forth. And the same thing that we've experienced spiritually, we can experience physically in that that baptism water. And then you ask. Don't stop. Don't stop. Ask. Have you done this? Have you believed in Jesus in this way? Or maybe ask, do you want to trust in Jesus today? Do you, do you want to follow Him like this? Do you want this gift of life that He offers? Folks, I worked at Best Buy for several years. And there were people that came and went, and they were part-time workers. They were just trying to get through college. They made me one of the supervisors, so my whole job was to get over there and teach them how to sell stuff. And you know the number one thing that I was always drilled into my head to teach to them Tell them to ask for the sale. Tell them to ask. Now look, I'm not trying to do marketing. I'm not trying to do tricky strategies. But sometimes people just don't know how to take that next step. And if you ask them, you'll be blown away. There were people that were standing in front of TVs that I thought, there ain't no way they're going to buy this TV. But I had to go, so, you guys want to buy it today? And amazingly, a majority of the time they go, Yeah, I don't know if we can fit it in our car, but let's go ahead and get it. We got something way better than TVs. We've got eternal life. We've got a gift that is is from God and God alone, that is from His mercy, and we are the ones making the appeal. We are the ambassadors. We are the salespeople. And it is our job to tell people of the incredible gift that is waiting for them. So when you hand this Bible, when you share the gospel, Walk through. Look, if you don't use this Bible, whatever you do, keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Be authentic. Be transparent. Care. Let us care enough to have the conversation. And use whatever tool we need to help guide us. And when you get to the end of the conversation, be bold enough to say, what do you think about that? Have you trusted in Jesus like that? Do you follow him in that way? Folks, God's making his appeal to the world through us. So let's go and be ambassadors for Christ. I want to ask two favors of these Bibles. In a minute when we have a time of response, if you feel led, if God's already got somebody on your heart and in your head, I want you to bring this Bible symbolically. There's nothing special about these steps. There's nothing special about this place. But symbolically, I want you to bring this Bible. I want you to kneel at these steps. And I want you to pray for who God would send this to. Pray that God would give you boldness. Pray that God would give you courage. The second thing I want you to do is when you give this away, 
you come back that next Sunday and you write on that blue card and you put, I gave my Bible to Nathan, pray for him. And we will pray. When we share the gospel, we share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray that God would give us boldness and prepare the hearts of those we're going to share with. And then pray that the message would be received. But the results are not up to you. The results are not up to me. The results are up to the Lord Himself. But we're the ambassadors. We're His representatives. He's making His appeal through us. So let's use this as an opportunity for the rest of this Christmas season, for every Christmas party you go to, keep this in your car, take it with you, give it away, have the conversation. It's going to be awkward, but embrace it. Love it. Life can be awkward sometimes, and that's okay. Don't run from it. Run to it. So the last thing I have for this morning, maybe you heard all this this morning, and maybe you don't know the Lord. I don't want to presume that everybody here has trusted in Jesus in this way. Maybe this was the first time that you saw in the Bible that all of us have sinned and all of us need Jesus. Maybe this is the first time that you realized it's more than just saying a prayer when you're a kid and never doing anything else about it. Wherever you are this morning, if that was you, I'm going to ask us to do something I don't normally do. I want for everybody in this room, I want us to all bow our heads. Bow with me. I want everybody in this room to close their eyes. I want you to focus on the Lord Himself. This morning, if you heard the gospel through what we read, and it has moved on your heart, I want to ask you to surrender to Jesus. I want to ask you to trust in Christ today. And so if that's you and you, you've never really trusted in Him, I'm going to walk through a little prayer. There's nothing special about the words I'm going to say. You can say it in your own words. But I want to ask you to call out to Jesus in your heart. And I want you to say, God, I'm a sinner. Father, I have turned from you. Please forgive me of my sin. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. God, be my boss. Be in charge. I want to belong to you. Help me to change my life, to repent and follow you. Tell God you love him. Thank him because he's heard your prayer. And every prayer matters. And so this morning I'm while your head's still bowed, I'm not asking you to just make a one-time decision. I want you to count the cost. I want you to know that Jesus wants all of you. And He wants all of you for all of your life. He doesn't just want you to walk down this aisle this morning one time. He wants you to be His. If you're willing to make that commitment, if you're willing to say that you prayed that prayer this morning and that's the decision you're making, would you please just let us know by raising your hand?
God bless you. This morning, if maybe you've been in a place where you've been leaning on that prayer a long time ago, and you haven't been committed like you knew you should, use this as an opportunity. Let this be the spark that fans into flame a new passion for Christ this Christmas season. So folks, I'm going to offer one more prayer and then I'm going to let Jason take over. While Jason plays, I encourage you to stand and to sing. I encourage you to bow at your pew. I encourage you to go and grab a friend and take them to the altar and pray with them. Whatever the Holy Spirit does in your heart, however He leads you, I encourage you to respond in obedience. Respond during this time. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand and sing. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy. God, I know that your mercy is limitless because you had enough for me. God, I've been listening to that song all week, Lord, and I'm just a nobody. Father, we just want to tell everybody. Because you're the one somebody that can save us all. Help us, Lord. Cause us to be your ambassadors. To carry this message with boldness, with love and compassion and mercy. We ask that you move in these moments. We ask all this in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.